Well, brothers and sisters, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them and turn to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, and while you turn there, I'll say a few words. On September 11th, 2001, terrorism struck the Twin Towers in this nation. It struck me this week that uh, many people, all the people who are graduating high school at this point, were not alive when that happened. But you perhaps know exactly where you were on September 11th, 2001. You probably remember where you saw the screen and where you saw the terror. Since that day, our government, along with many other governments, have implemented all kinds of means to protect from terror. You experience them every time you go to an airport. And they've spent trillions and trillions of dollars, not only in those areas, but they've also spent trillions of dollars in order to find and destroy terrorists. Terrorists are dangerous. Because they're not afraid to lose their lives. They have no fear of judgment. And they're dangerous also because they're unknown. They can come out of anywhere. Which if you ask anyone who serves overseas, that is the part that is most terrifying. Jude comes today to tell us that there are not only terrorists in the world, but that there are terrorists in the church. There are men who care nothing about the cost that it will cost them to come and wreak havoc upon the bride of Jesus. They will gladly go to an eternal fire in order to see more go with them. They don't care the cost. And they are dangerous because they are unknown. Verse 4, they have crept in among us. And we do not know them. And so Jude comes to you and I today to tell us that there are identifying marks by which you can tell a terrorist in the church. Let me pray, and then I'll read verses 5 through 11, and we'll jump in. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, this is Your Word. We remember what John Owen said, that apart from the Holy Spirit, we had might as well burn our Bibles. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, come and illumine our eyes. Come and soften our hearts. The carnal man cannot receive the truth, but the spiritual man can. And so we pray, come and help us to see. O Spirit of God, give us spiritual eyes. And we pray that our hearts would receive the truth and our hands would work it out for the glory of Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, today I have a proposition and two points. Proposition, be on guard. Be on guard by knowing what false teachers look like. And be on guard by knowing why false teachers ought to be avoided. Be on guard by knowing what false teachers look like. And be on guard by knowing what false, why false teachers ought to be avoided. Look at the Scriptures with me and I'll read verses 5 
through 11. Jude writes, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. In our passage today, Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the gain, for the for the sake of gain of gain of Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. Amen. This ends the reading of God's holy inspired and inerrant word may write its truths on each of our hearts. So brothers, be on guard. Be on guard by knowing what false teachers look like and be on guard by knowing why false teachers should be avoided. Be on guard by knowing what false teachers look like. Look at verse 8 with me as we open this text. Jude writes, Yet in like manner these people also relying on their dreams and, bl- and bl- uh, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. Last week we saw that Jude brought out three Old Testament references. The three Old Testament references are well known to you and I. He brought out the people of Israel in the wilderness in verse 5. He brought out the angels that fell in verse 6. And he brought out Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7. In all of these references, he showed that by rejecting the dominion of Christ, these people incurred just recompense by Christ. The false, teacher, uh, the, the false believers did not receive the promised land. The, the angels who were not true were cast out of heaven. And then Sodom and Gomorrah, who had dwelt in the place that was like the Garden of Eden in Genesis 13.10, were Destroyed by fire. In verse 8, it becomes evident what the connection Jude makes with these false teachers is. Notice his first few words in verse 8. He says, Yet in like manner these people also. He's coming back to these people. Who is this, these people referring to? It's referring to those of verse 4. The, the, where he said, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. He's referring to those men who have crept in to the church and have come to wreak havoc upon the bride of Jesus. And Jude is coming and he's saying, 
He's going to give three, he gave three Old Testament references, verses 5 through 7, and he tells you about Michael. Then he's going to give you three more Old Testament references in verse 11, and then he's going to tell you about Enoch. He does three illustrations and a story, three illustrations and a story, all compounding to tell you what happens to false teachers and what happens to believers who fail to live under the dominion of Christ and abandon Him. The correlation in verse 8, these people in like manner also, he compares them to those who deny Christ through unbelief. To those who reject their once held faith like the angels. And to those who go and practice immorality like Sodom and Gomorrah. You want to know what a false teacher looks like? There's three categories there. Unbelief. Leaving of the true Doctrine and indulging in sexual immorality. Though these men live in sensuality and pervert God's grace for license to sin, they are truly doing one thing, which is what Jude is bringing out. They're denying the despotes, the dominion, the lordship of Christ upon their life. We said last week that Christ is not received as Savior alone. He is both Lord and Savior of the Christian. And this becomes evident in verse 8. Notice his first correlation. After, uh, notice what his first thought on these false teachers in verse 8. He says, yet in like manner, these people also, what do they do, Jude? What do false teachers do? He says, these people also relying on their dreams. If you recall, Jude said in verse 4, that these people designated for condemnation, they're ungodly people, they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to command, if you're going to partake, if you're going to instruct in the things that Jesus forbids, then you necessarily have to reject His crown rights. These men are coming, and it says they do not rely upon Christ, their their Lord, to direct them. They rely upon dreams to direct them. And the terminology is really worthy of note here. They depend on dreams. What are dreams? It's some subjective experience. It's individual to them. They claim that their experience is over everything else. Because I've experienced this, I must deny that Christ said this. But more than that, a dream is a mere shadow. Do you ever wake up and have a faint memory of what you dreamed? And then by lunch you you can't remember it at all? A dream is a shadow. A dream is not something you can rest your life upon. A dream is, as Jonathan Edwards would say, a spider's web. They're clouds that hold nothing. And notice what these men do. They rely on them. Now, I'm sure if you were to ask a false teacher, say you're relying on dreams, is that right? They would, say, they would say, no. 
But notice the inspired Word of God's declaration of what false teachers rest upon. It's a shadow. The thing that directs their life has no substance. I've told it before, but at my first semester at RTS Jackson, uh, they had us um, take a class, and it was on the inerrancy and the sufficiency of Scripture. It was the first class you took in the fall. And why is that? It is because to reject the authority of Scripture over the Christian's life is to lose everything. It is to lose the gospel for which we stand. It is to lose the authority by which we live. It is to lose the hope in which we secure ourselves. And these men have left that authority and given it over for an authority that is no authority. They do not want the emporium of Christ to rest upon them. They do not want Christ's kingship. They want His death. They want the satisfaction for sins. But they do not want His lordship over them. And I want you to know that Jude tells terrifying things to the one who would love to have Jesus as Savior, but would hate to have Him as their Lord. And I wonder, if you and I were to examine our lives, would you find something that rules you over Christ? How do you know how to live in your marriage? How do you know how to parent your children? How do you even know you should be here this morning? What governs you? in your Christian life. Christ said, Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you live and move in your, all your ways because it is written? His kingship directing me Or do you rely upon dreams? What governs you every day when you wake? Christ said, it is written. It is written. It is written. I want you to notice that if you rely upon something else, as all true doctrine can be tested by what it produces, it will show in your life. If you are relying on a dream, it necessarily follows, verse 8, that you defile the flesh, you reject authority, and that you blaspheme the glorious ones. If you are relying upon something else, it will inevitably flow through your life. We must defend the crown rights of King Jesus in our own hearts. If you fail to uphold His crown rights in here, you will not uphold them out there. At the Westminster Assembly in the 1640s, there was a man named John Stalin, and he, had, he was an Erastian. 
He was one of the two commissioners who was arresting in the Westminster Assembly. And he stood up in the assembly and he began to speak. And what is an Erastian, you ask? An Erastian is someone who believes that the, the, the government has the rights over the church in all its ways. He was Anglican, if you want to form it that way. And, and as he was speaking, and he made a mar- magnificent uh, overture to the assembly of uh, Erastianism and their ecclesiology, there was a man, George Gillespie, who was sitting and writing. And he was writing prolifically over and over and over again. And he was a Scotsman. He was a young Scotsman minister. And he had one of his friends come over to him. I believe it was Samuel Rutherford. And Samuel Rutherford said, George, stand and defend the crown rights of King Jesus. And George stood. And he, and he on, the, on the floor, gave an absolute amazing rebuttal to John the Erastian's comments. And, and all the people were moved by it. But they, you had a few men who come up after, even, even in that debate. It was, um, it was amazing that Selden, in that debate, turned to one of his friends and said, that young man has destroyed all of my learning. And... Gillespie had men come up to him and and they said, I would like your notes that you used for your speech. And he gave them the notes and it was three words written over and over and over again in Latin. Da lucem domine. Da lucem domine. Da lucem domine. More light, O Lord. More light, O oh Lord, more light, O oh Lord. And He rests His authority upon Christ and His kingship. If we fail to defend Christ's crown rights in our lives, you will wreak havoc of your life. It is what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. What did they do? They relied on something other than what was spoken in Genesis 2.17. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And what did they do? They exchanged that authority, did God really say, for another. If you exchange the truth, it will cost you dearly. It costs Adam and Eve the Garden of Eden. And do not be fooled. The exchange of the dominion of Christ over you will cost you your eternal inheritance. That's what he says. That Jesus who saved them afterward destroyed those who didn't believe. He keeps the angels in eternal chains. That Solomon and Gomorrah serve as an example to you and I by serving in eternal fire. Exchanging Christ's crown rights leads to the defilement of the flesh, the rejection of authority, to all kinds of sin. There is a comparison here. I want you to see it. In verses 9 and 10, he brings out this scene with Michael and the devil. Verse 9, But when... The archangel Michael contending with the devil 
was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. I want you to get that verse 9 is recorded nowhere else in your Bibles. It's breathed out by God, by Jude. We get a glimpse of what must have happened back in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Moses dies, and what does Satan want to do? He wants the body of Moses. Why? Perhaps to lead the people into some idolatry. Remember, Moses was buried where no man knows for a particular reason. Because Israel is prone to idolatry. And so it says that two beings are contending with one another here. Michael, who is called the archangel. And he's contending with the devil. Now I want you to know that contending is only natural when darkness and light meet. It is only natural that there's going to be contention. There is a reason there is a war in Galatians 5.17 because the spirit and the flesh do not dwell together. They are against one another and the same is here spoken. Now Michael has the title, verse 9, of archangel. The only one in the Bible with such a title. Literally meaning the chief angel or the prince of angels. And this one who is exalted in his authority in the heavenly realms, I want you to see that even he does not presume, is what the text says, to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. But notice what Michael does when, when faced with the devil who is the anointed cherub, who is called the day star, the son of the dawn, the one who walked in the midst of heaven until there was sin found in him. Notice what Michael says and what the author is pointing out. That Michael, with the rank he had, still committed himself to the authority of Jesus. Notice what he does. When he says, the Lord rebuke you, the Lord is the one of verse 4. Our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The Lord is the one whom Jude serves, verse 1. And here Michael, even the angels in heaven, commit themselves to Christ and His authority. It is what Ephesians 1 says, that when Christ had risen from the dead, He conquered over all uh, powers and authorities and, and all the things in the heavenly realm. Christ, in His resurrection, shows forth His dominion not only over men in the world, that He must reign, 1 Corinthians 15, 25, until all the world is put under Him, but He also reigns over all angelic hosts. Christ is supreme. He is supreme over all. And so what does Michael do? He commits himself to the one who is supreme over him. See the contrast of verse 10. 
But, verse 10, these people, these false teachers, these men who have crept in to the church, these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. False teachers blaspheme not only authorities, they blaspheme not only the organizational structure that Christ has appointed in His church, 3 John verse 9, Diotrephes. But false teachers also deny the authority of Christ who placed all those things where they are. By rebelling against governance apart from rule, the rule of Christ, you are rebelling not only against the, world's, the worldly government, you are also rebelling against Christ Himself who appoints those things. We must beware that false teachers abuse their power and they dethrone Christ in order to exalt themselves. If you have a man who is exalting himself, be very weary of him. It is a great encouragement that Christ rules over all things. When he rose from the dead, he did not say, Some authority is given to me. Matthew 28 18, he says, All authority. Your life is not your life, it is his life. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 18 through 20, you do not unite your members to a harlot. Why? Because your members are those that belong to Jesus. Your life is not your own. What do we say? That I belong body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ rules over all. And Christian, He ought to rule and govern you. It is amazing that the seas do exactly what Jesus commands them. They go this far and no further. The winds, the sun... All of the created universe does exactly what the Lord tells it to. And men, as small as we are, the only ones who say, no. Jesus will rule over you. He will either rule over you in life, or you will experience Him ruling over you in your death. As it says in Revelation that their aroma goes into the presence of the Lamb. Those who are burning with everlasting fire are ascending up into the presence of Christ. Christ is Lord, and He will rule you. Brothers and sisters, be on guard by knowing what false teachers look like. but also be on guard by knowing why false teachers should be avoided. Verse 11, see 
what Jude says. The first three words, woe to them. Woe to them. To pronounce a woe in Scripture is no small thing. It is a declaration of judgment. A declaration of judgment upon a person. To be a believer and live in the deeds of the flesh, he's, he's connecting thoughts here, is absolutely terrifying. What does Jesus say on the last day? Matthew 7, He says, Many will come to Me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in Your name? And He'll say, Depart from Me, ye workers of lawlessness. To be one who professes Jesus, Lord, Lord, but lives for the world is extremely terrifying. And Jude says, Woe to them. The most fearful woes are those that are spiritual in their nature. No outward calamity is so terrible as the wrath of God. No worldly misfortune so great as a seared conscience. Woe to them. A woe in Scripture is a declaration of cursing. Many pronouncing judgment upon such and such a person and telling you their end. It is by the grace of God you have the woes of Scripture. The woes of Scripture are to beckon you to the God who calls you. You hear of the impending judgment like pilgrim, like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, and what do you do? You flee to the celestial city. You run to the one whose cross actually causes the burden on your back to fall away. He tells you the woes of Scripture to bid you to come to Him. And in many ways, Jesus is calling with His pronouncements. Do you have a faith that's, that submits to Jesus? If you do not, hear this woe. If you are happy to have Jesus as your Savior, but do not want Him as your Lord to rule you, hear Jude say woe to you. We must submit our lives under the Lordship and the dominion of the crown rights of Jesus. He will not be fooled by you or me. We may deceive others, but you cannot deceive Him. There's three Old Testament references here, and you know them all very well in verse 11. He says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. He gives you three well-known places, Cain, Balaam, and Korah's rebellion. It is amazing how knowledgeable these three men are in Scripture. All three of these men heard the audible voice of God. 
All three of these men sat and heard or walked with the Lord. Hear it. That Cain, who was in Genesis 4, offering sacrifices and having God give him warnings expressly and audibly. Here at Balaam, whose donkey decided by the grace of God to warn him of his ways as the angel of the Lord stood in between him. Or Korah's rebellion, Korah who had seen God descend on Mount Sinai in audible voice with the terror of that day. All of these men had amazing knowledge of the Lord Jehovah. But all of them rejected Him. You perhaps know many people who loved Jesus and you thought knew Him very well. And today reject Him. Why do they reject Him? It tells you. Way of Cain. What did Cain do? Each of these men had an American dream. Each of them had a, 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 a fantasy whereby they wanted to deny the supremacy of Christ and go after another way. Cain had the hatred of his brother that overtook all other affections. Balaam loved the money of a king. And Korah deci- decided that he wanted the esteem of the covenant community. Hatred of a brother. Money of a king, esteem in the community. Cain killed his brother. Balaam led the people into idolatry and immorality for money. The sons of Korah desired that Moses be dethroned and they be exalted. Cain went to a devil's hell. What does it say? First John, that he was a son of the devil. Balaam was greedy for gain, just as the false teachers here are greedy. Just as the false teachers want to kill their brothers, as they're greedy for money, and as they want esteem in the community. These are the distinguishing marks whereby you can see them and know their end. They all sought to destroy God's people in one way or another and exalt themselves. When you realize that you find these kinds of things in the church, remember this is written to the church, right? When you find men who are of the brand of Cain, men who seem and have the love of money like Balaam, and those who like Korah just want to be esteemed, all these bad shepherds, it makes you long for a good shepherd. And we have a great shepherd. Unlike these men, Jesus did not kill his brothers, but he gave up his life for his brothers. Unlike these men who desired riches and wealth and honor, Jesus, 2 Corinthians 8, gives up his wealth and riches and honor. In Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. 
We have a shepherd who loves his brothers and gives his life for his brothers and, 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 and divests himself of his riches for his brothers and one who did not consider his esteem so great that he ought to be exalted in the world that he lived. But he was content with rejections and despisings in order that his brothers might join him in glory. What does he pray in John 17? I pray that they might be where I am and might see my glory. That one day he wanted to bring us with him to glory that we might partake and enjoy. These false teachers make us long for a greater teacher. These false shepherds make you long for a greater shepherd. And we have a wonderful shepherd. One who saves us from the woes that we ourselves should incur by taking them upon Himself on Mount Calvary. Jesus, not content to simply come and lead you. He was not content simply to rule you, but to save you bore the woes of Calvary, the curse of the cross, that you might inherit the blessing of being part of His family. Brothers and sisters, there are terrorists in the church. There are men and women who creep in to wreak havoc upon the bride of Jesus. Do not stand for them. Be as Paul and oppose them. Christ's lordship, his crown rights, as Samuel Rutherford said, stand up for the crown rights of King Jesus. Brothers, if you will not stand for him, you will fall for everything. Closing note. Um, R.C. Sproul, he once uh, quoted the common phrase, uh, don't just stand there, do something. And R.C. commented, he said, don't just do something, stand there. Many Christians and many of us are content going about doing all kinds of things, but failing to stand. Stand for your King. Uphold His rights in your heart and glorify Him in your life. If you are under the woes of these false teachers, hear Christ beckon you and run to the Savior who is so gracious that He would warn you and He will save you and He will rule you. Let's pray together.